Welcome to another episode of Take This Job and Love It, a podcast dealing with the various eccentricities of the job search process. Uh, we are representatives of the Yale Office of Career Strategy. My name is Brian Frenette, and I serve as Senior Associate Director in the Office of Career Strategy. And today I'm joined by... Stephanie Waite, Common Good and Creative Careers Team. Calvin Yu, the Deputy Director of the CIPE. And Meredith Mira, I primarily work with undergrads and am part of our STEM Connect initiative. For those who are unfamiliar. Excellent. So the CIP is quite a large division within Yale College. Uh, we have four divisions, as you guys know yourselves, the Office of Career Strategy. Uh, we also have our Study Abroad program, Yale Summer Session, and the fourth one is Fellowships and Funding. Uh, these provide just a myriad, a quite diverse set of opportunities for students uh, you can see uh, we're sending students out over the summer. We're sending out students for career, for professions. Uh, we advise students. We counsel students. So it's a, ultimately a, a huge resource for students to come in and learn about the world and opportunities they have for their future. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so today we're going to be talking about sort of the nebulousness of the career decision-making process. So I'm wondering if you could start by telling us about your uh, your thoughts on what goes into that process and maybe how CIPE in, in the universe that is Yale can play a role uh, in that process. Sure. Um, I've had a very diverse background, and actually Stephanie was kind enough to write it down for me so I don't forget it. <laughs> um, but this is, uh, you know, part of life is taking the journey to go through the different steps that lead you to wherever you are. Uh, so you can imagine starting out from high school, selecting my major, or even selecting where I wanted to go to university uh, was a very important decision. Um, then when I was in university, of course, um, the friends I made, the courses I took, as well as the opportunities I had, whether it be study abroad or internships, also played an influence in my future. Um, so again, just a quick brief rundown. Uh, I left graduate school to go work in Liberia for a Microsoft project. Um, I've worked for the city of Atlanta Police Department. Uh, one of my first jobs was as a prison guard. Um, in addition, I've served in the military as an army officer. Uh, I've worked for corporate America. Uh, I've worked for the State Department, the United Nations, and then here I am at Yale. Um, so these are just a slew of opportunities I've had that have come up in my life that have helped build my skill set and develop me into where I am today. And I think ultimately being satisfied in all I've done and being fulfilled in the work I'm doing um, have played a very important factor how I've selected these positions. So, so Cal, this is, so I, I heard, I heard Calvin's story and it automatically put, set me down this track of wanting to do an episode that was specifically on the career decision-making process because Oftentimes, students will come into our offices and they will say, oh, I'm, I, I'm lost, confused, anxious, nervous, worried, because I'm still trying to decide what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then when I hear stories like Calvin's, I automatically go into this, um, this, this mindset of thinking about uh, the nonlinear career path. Yeah. I was going to say, like, Calvin, you planned all this out, right? This is yeah. a big, giant, <laughs> wonderful tapestry sequence. Exactly. So as a child of tiger parents, everything was already laid out for me. <laughs> it was a book that was written before I was born. 
Um, I think one of the major themes we talk about in OCS is your major does not equal career. Um, so, for example, you can think uh, less than a third of people go on to work in a field that they majored in. Um, that actually holds true even for STEM degrees. Um, the one exception to that is probably engineering, which about 50% of engineering grads go on to work in the field of engineering. So you can think, imagine the social sciences, uh, liberal arts degree education gives you such a broad skill set that you're able to pursue opportunities that you enjoy. Um, there's a model that's out there, uh, talks about skill, will, and access, and there's a lot of different terms, whether it be opportunities or interests. But if you think about as you accumulate skills throughout life, whether it's education, on the job practical experience, uh, having the will or the interest to pursue an opportunity, and then of course having the access, like the timing has to be correct. Um, these are things that are different for every person, uh, whatever, wherever you are you in life, the environment you're in, uh, just the geopolitical climate of that time, these all play a role. So um, I would encourage students to keep an open mind as they explore uh, their opportunities and ensure that they have the freedom to choose as they move down the road. So I think that sometimes students have, I don't want to say been set up to fail because that sounds so doom and gloom, but when you're coming in, and, and I know there's a wide range of people listening to this podcast, but for those who are coming um, to Yale or some other institution of higher education right out of high school. I think that there is a way in which they have been set up on a path to take this class, to apply to this thing, to do these sports, to do these clubs, um, and then I'm going to go into college. And they get in, and as you were just saying, Calvin, that the major doesn't necessarily dictate the career, but what they've been told all along is that they need to make a decision now that's going to support them on down the line. So it's always preparation for the future, first of all. It's never like living in the moment. It's preparation for some other future moment. And so they come into the career office, and oftentimes a first-year student or a sophomore is saying to me, I'm trying to figure out my major because I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And it's a little confusing for them when we say, it doesn't necessarily have to work that way. They see it as a destiny. And, and that is sometimes, I think, one of the larger um, misconceptions of, of higher education as, as being some sort of vocational destiny. And I know we've touched on that kind of thing in the past and some other episodes, but it, it's a reoccurring theme and it's a constant conundrum, I think. And we see it, it, it uh, the results of that bubble up in a number of different ways and what we're seeing with some of the, the trials and tribulations of higher education and the debt that comes along with it in, in the context of where we are today. But I think in the context uh, more specific to de devising a career, it seems like an attainable, tangible thing. Like I'm going to go to the career office and they're going to pull out a career out of the career bag and I'm going to walk out of there, mission accomplished. I knew it, Brian. I knew that you had a career bag I, in all this. It's taken a couple of years, but I finally fine-tuned that, that, that whole thing. It's very popular. But the idea, I think part of our, our collective mission is to try to help quash that misconception. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, Calvin, going to your story, seeing how there, there are threads of continuity there throughout those roles, and yet at the same time someone could as easily say that seems like a quite a dynamic background. Mm -hmm. Did you have a conscious, were you conscious to those threads of continuity or did you come around to it by need after, sure. fact, after the fact? Uh, I would say I definitely was not conscious about it, but when you look back on it, so for example, now 
working in the Center for International and Professional Experience. So the international piece, again, my work overseas, whether in the Army, the State Department, the UN, has prepared me for that role. And then currently I do a lot of uh, data analysis and evidence-based decision-making on behalf of Yale College. So that comes from having a background, educational background in statistics. So I obviously didn't go into this study or these fields with the express intent of 20 years down the road, right. I'm going to be working at the CIPE. Yeah. Um, but, that wasn't on your vision board? <laughs> uh, so my parents already written that in the book for me, <laughs> just doing what they told me to do. Um, so part of it is just preparing yourself for the future. Uh, again, you know, I always encourage students to build up their skill sets uh, open, uh, take positions and experiences that give you more opportunities for the future. Um, So my personal philosophy would be to go for a range of skill set over a particular skill set. So to become a generalist as opposed to a specialist. And kind of if you look at the way the world is moving towards modernization, uh, AI, machine learning, you definitely want to be a generalist. So humans uh, can be beaten by AI in chess. Um, and very specific tasks. And so where humans uh, are superior is to be able to look at the strategy and the broader overall picture. Um, That just comes with picking up skills throughout different careers, uh, different opportunities as you move through life. So, so I, so I hear you, right? I I hear you, generalists, you know, thinking about skills that you want to develop over time. But when I think about the cost of higher education, when I think about um, the kinds of pressures that our students are, are facing, whether those are internal or external, when, they, when I think about the expectations that folks have of them to make good decisions every step of the way, and by the way, you have four years to make those decisions and you need to tether yourself to an idea in the future so that you can work toward that goal as efficiently as possible, it's not lost on us that these are the realities that they're facing. So, um, so I kind of want to, I want to take back, um, I want to, I want to take us all back to, you know, Calvin being 18 years old. Okay. And I was there once. And <laughs> many moons ago. Um, and, and Calvin sitting there kind of making some decisions for himself about um, whether or not to attend college, what kind of college, what might he study, um, what were some of the things that were going on in your mind in that moment? Because we don't we don't want our students to feel as though we're 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 giving them that playbook. A, a, well, your maybe um, your parents and other people gave you this kind of playbook. We're going to give you this other playbook, mm-hmm. right? Generalist, but, you know. So 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 thinking about eighteen year old Calvin. Sure. What what was he thinking in those in those moments? So again, I I, I wasn't kidding when I said my parents are tiger parents. Um, so what there does that mean exactly? So there were these you know cat like animals that were very vicious. Um, certainly, uh-huh. we've all heard uh, the battle hymn of the tiger mom, tiger mother. That's uh, uh, by a law professor here at Yale. So it definitely is a situation where your parents have a particular vision for what they have as success. And so they want to set their children up um, based on this vision. And whatever it is, whether it be the best education, a high-paying job, um, those are typical kind of the hallmarks of immigrants. You know, they came here for the American dream, and so they really want their children to succeed as per their vision. Um, so under that model, uh, you know, I'm from the state. I graduated college, excuse me, high school from the state of Georgia, and my parents wanted me to go to the best college. 
And of course, that's Georgia Tech. And so I'm a rambling wreck from Georgia Tech and a hell of an engineer. Um, so my father ah. was an engineer. There you go. It's also clear. My father was an engineer. And so obviously I needed to pursue engineering also. And so I studied electrical engineering. And as you would have it, I also took classes in international relations. And so I actually picked up the major also of international relations. And there actually has been research done which shows that many students do come to their majors through the courses they take, random assignment, um, or their peers that are in several fields that are interested. So your roommate is in this career, your roommate down the hall, your, your sweet mates uh, pick this major and you're sold on it. So that happens uh, in, in, uh, a not insignificant number of times, which is interesting. Um, so through those, through those experiences, I actually considered working for the federal government, uh, whether it be for the FBI or the CIA, um, some sort of federal agency. Um, at that time, there were age requirements as well as uh, experience requirements. And so that's where I sort of uh, decided to become a police officer is to build that experience. Um, and then, of course, the international relations piece that led me to my work in Liberia with Microsoft. Um, and that was an experience that, again, opened up the window to working in the field of international development, uh, the NGO work, as well as, you know, the State Department and the UN. Okay, hold on, back up. Sure. So you're an engineer, you're an international relations uh, major as well. Um, and how did you move from that to ultimately getting your first position with the police department? Did you do internships? What did you do them in? Excellent. Uh, so I didn't do any internships. Uh, it's an open application process. City of Atlanta is quite large. Um, so actually, before I was hired on by the city of Atlanta, which takes some time, um, I became a prison guard for Durham Correctional Center in the state of North Carolina. And that, again, was building up to whether being a police officer or policing law enforcement on the federal level. So part of that was with a, with a goal in mind uh, of building towards a career. Um, Wait, how did you become sure. a prison guard? Uh, so just through general application process. So, so right after graduation. Right after graduation, yeah. Did, did you have an ex any kind of existential moment of like, where does engineering fit into this? Or was this already uh, part a, of the No, that's a, that's a perfect question. So engineering, I actually was interested in the coursework, um, but it's ultimately not something I wanted to do long term. I had actually done an internship at Kimberly Clark. So my father worked there also. So it's a large plastics, paper, uh, manufacturing corporation. And it was just not a, a career I would be interested in pursuing. Sure. So in that moment when you said to dad, I'm no longer pursuing this engineering path. I'm going to go be a prison guard. What was the reaction? <laughs> what I mean, how did, sure. you, how did you present that information? Yeah, so I was, you know, it's probably not an unusual story for many children of tiger parents to have a very clean break uh, away from their parents. And so during my years at college, you could say, you know, my parents just said I went off the reservation. And so obviously going into law enforcement is quite different than their expectations of me becoming, say, a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. And you know, going back to my theme of uh, picking up generalized skills uh, through life is I think as we move through our careers and lives, you are able to focus more in on the topics and the work that you enjoy, which I think is the most important piece of it. You want to set yourself up for success. 
Um, so you will see that over time, if people move away from their majors in their career, uh, they're moving towards things that they will find more satisfaction and fulfillment in doing. I've always thought that was an interesting misnomer where people, you know, by people, you know, since you see articles or sometimes we will see write-ups in like the YDN or I've even seen this from administrators at Yale asking questions on surveys to students about the perceived connection between major and career. And I always thought internally for this place, I find it interesting because it's, it's a liberal arts institution. So what is that, what is that connection? What's that supposed to mean? But I also think that does, again, presuppose like this vocational connection to what you're doing. Yes, what you're studying should have value, but I think that is a pretty loose, usually a pretty loose interpretation. I think, yeah, I I usually uh, very quickly will say, unless you're going to be an accountant or an engineer, those are usually the exceptions. Everything else has a fair, and even those unto themselves have fairly broad um, interpretations. But I do think that's an interesting concept of like when you leave with the 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 degree, the piece of paper that you you know you worked so hard for and you had the investment of time and energy and finances in, and the 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 the, the what next question again has this presupposition of something that is intimately de- related to that concept, and then here you are sort of. Having one of those few exceptions to the rule, if you will, of saying, well, I was, an en- I was an engineering student, so I might become an engineer. Did you feel that, was it, was it um, a moment of certainty of this is what I want to go do? Or was there any sort of doubt as you were making that, you know, back to Stephanie's point about like, we'll, we'll, we'll bump you up to 21, 21-year-old Calvin. Sure. As you were exiting the institution. Um, was that a moment of like, oh, I hope I got this right, or like the, there was like, man, this is this is it because of the internship, or how? Walk us through that. Uh, it's a combination of so many things. Um, I will say, you know, definitely when you are eighteen or twenty-one, you don't have the same type of perspective you have as you get older. Um, so part of that is seeking out mentors and really understanding mm-hmm. uh, what you may want in your future. Um, So that is probably the first piece of advice I give students that I'm advising, which is to seek out a mentor that can give them this type of life perspective. Um, So really, it was after these discussions that with my mentors that I was very comfortable saying, hey, this is something I'm interested in pursuing, uh, whether it be international or federal government work. Um, So it was something that I felt like, okay, this is something I can do. Um, Again, it comes with Um, having made that break with my parents, um, it allowed me the opportunity to see other perspectives and really get that vote of confidence to pursue things like that. Um, In terms of how majors and careers are, uh, you know, the relationship between that, this goes into, you know, the psychological concept of learning environments. You have very kind learning environments, which are very repetitive. So chess, golf, Um, engineering specifically, uh, maybe even computer science, versus unkind learning environments or wicked environments that are just very nebulous. So if you think management, economics, things are not necessarily set in stone. Um, These are ones that require more generalized types of thinking, uh, more, um, what do they call it, more conceptual basis, strategic uh, view of things. Can we throw comfort Please. with ambiguity in, in, into that? Sure. I mean, so, you know, again, through all this, uh, I never imagined I would end up where I am today. And, you know, there's obviously lots of kitschy sayings like life is what happens, you know, when you're making plans. 
Um, and, and that totally is true. Um, if you think of like a Steve Jobs quote, um, the journey is the reward. And so when I look back on all these experiences, I can say, you know, from a career perspective, they prepared me for where I am today. But ultimately it was, I did things I enjoyed. Um, I followed my dream where possible. Um, I had to be realistic about it, take the opportunities that were available to me. Um, but at the end of the day, I think um, that's a very key point too, is being comfortable with the choices you make. So let's get a little bit more specific. How did you find these mentors? Who are these nebulous people? Because there's a lot of people. We just got done doing an episode on networking. Sure. And a lot of people are like, who am I networking with? Where do I find them? What do I say? How do I do this? Yeah. So um, I definitely would say it's something that is you should pursue intentionally and deliberately. Um, I was very lucky in graduate school that uh, you're obviously assigned an academic advisor. But I had someone who was very much interested, interested in international development work. And so I was able to travel around with him. So that's one key, someone within the educational environment, but also in the professional environment. So if I had a supervisor that I really admired, um, I kept in touch with them over time. So one, obviously, you're building a professional network, but also someone that can give you advice and counsel as you move along. So I'd say be deliberate about it. So did you have any mentors when you were finishing up undergrad? Let's go back to 21-year-old sure. Calvin when you were sort of shifting away from engineering and into? Into like federal government? Yes. So one of the things I was pretty lucky, um, I did a lot of informational interviews with people in the field. So for example, with the FBI or the CIA, uh, being able to talk to individuals who are working in those vocations is key. So if you can imagine before joining the military, which is such a long commitment, um, I for sure talked to people who had retired, other veterans, uh, to understand how that choice was. Um, to give you an example, why I joined the military, kind of ultimately what led me in that direction, is as I was working in Liberia in the mid-2000s, there was a lot of foreign investment there. And the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was running large projects through USAID. And so the USAID project managers I met were retired military folks. And so they kind of sold me on the concept of, becoming a military engineer and working on these large infrastructure projects. So along the way, you know, I've kept my mind open to uh, seeking individuals that uh, had careers that I was interested in. So I'm sure you guys have heard of, you know, you should find someone that's successful in the field or in the job you want, look up their resume, and then kind of pursue these skill sets. Yeah, and and I, I think that speaks to something that we um, – we want to say to students a lot, but it doesn't always get articulated in this kind of way, which is allow the experiences that you have shape the next decisions that you make rather than the other way around, right? Well, right, because that, that almost is, spits in the face of the strategy that got them to the institution, right. right? I mean, it's contrary to what they've been successful at to date if we're if we're talking about undergraduates in this context or even I guess graduate students as well right it's 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 embracing a what can be perceived as chaos but you you put it in a much more rosy way right I mean I think it's about it's a perception matter and in that you know back to the point of you know Life is what happens when you're what was it? Making, making plans. Making plans. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So like if you're just putting those plans into place and something gets disrupted, the concern on that individual's behalf is like, well then what's gonna supposed to happen three steps down is now moot potentially. 
when you know we at least from our biased vantage point that's that's woefully untrue or mercifully untrue i think in this case you know how did that did that did that come into play throughout your you know various experiences were there one of these moments where like well what now or what was there sort of a logical step in that moment for you no definitely there were times in my life where i had no idea what i was going to do next um, I've been pretty lucky that my skill set has allowed me to go across these different industries. Um, so as opposed to being narrowly focused on one particular skill set and working in one industry, uh, I was able to jump across different ones. Um, again, that, that speaks to kind of I'm comfortable doing that. Um, it may not be for everyone, but it's something that I encourage everyone to be open to. Um, also talking with the different mentors and the other people with experience, that is super key because life, you know, after you graduate is, is life. Like you're setting yourself up for success in that life, but by no means is everything you do in undergraduate or graduate school or the major you select um, your life. Um, so that's, again, that perspective is hard um, when you're in the moment. Um, which I think is why it's important to have these mentors that have a couple years of experience or many decades of experience to share with you and provide that feedback. So we have a lot of our Yale undergrads who do go on to graduate school, and then certainly a number of our listeners are in graduate school or postdocs themselves. But um, did you make uh, decisions to go to these? I think you have a you have a master's in international relations and a master's of science in statistics. Um, so absolutely (laughs) as as they are known (laughs) did you make decisions to go do those master's programs with the intention of developing a skill set that would help you get to another point that's a good question this is actually kind of a funny story so international relations is the master's I did Uh, so after I was a, a prison guard and a police officer I went into that master's program and that's what led me to working in Liberia and overseas for many years. Um, Coming out of the military, um, one of the reasons uh, I left the military was to change into the State Department. So I had applied um, and taken the Foreign Service exam, which I encourage all students to do. It's free, you can take it every year. Um, Taking that exam, uh, I passed, and I knew I would be able to take a commission with the Foreign Service in about 18 months' time. So I resigned my commission in the military, which also allowed me to have the GI Bill, which pays for uh, education. And so in that 18-month period, I knew I should seize the opportunity because at that time, of course, I knew the Foreign Service was going to be the career for the rest of my life, and I was going to be there for 30, 40 years. And so <laughs> As you see here at the Center that's for right. Professional <laughs> International Experience. Hindsight is always 20-20. Yeah. Um, so, so getting out, um, you know, I queried many friends. I had friends who had gone to law school, then MBA programs, and I knew those weren't things I wanted to pursue long term. Law school being incredibly expensive, and the advice I got was if you don't want to work in law, don't go to law school. Um, And then so I thought, one day I may pursue a PhD. Um, 18 months is not enough time, as bright as I could be, to finish a PhD. It would be a whole different interview. (laughs) (laughs) So, But I thought I would arm myself myself with the skill. Well, ourselves, me, myself, and I, with the skills. And so, you know, data analysis, data science is a huge topic. And so I used the GI Bill to get a master's in statistics. And that actually, again, 
the first job where I've had that did hard data analytics is actually this position. And that was, you know, since then, that degree, I went to the State Department, which did not use it, and the United Nations, which didn't also. So in that sense, it was a very long-term play to come to the CIPE, where I'm going to be for the next 20, 30 years. <laughs> of course. We're looking forward to it. I, I think what the interesting thematics here is that you seem to stay in touch with the skill set that you are developing through time. And that, I think, is often mis, misperceived as serendipity in others. You know, people are like, well, it's just luck or I'm just kind of going on feel um, and that there's some sort of like, you know, force at play. But I think it's that introspective connection that allows for you to get a, a good kind of beat on where you need to be or where you want to be going next. It sounds that you've leveraged those resources or made those things available to you and stayed in touch throughout the journey you know, with all of the chaotic elements of it that everyone's journey has. And I think that that, you know, as we, as we, as we circle back and sort of um, begin to, to kind of wrap things up here and thinking about the career decision-making process, being, not being resistant towards the concept of serendipity, but realizing what it actually is. It's sort of like a Wizard of Oz concept, like behind the curtain lies this, this perspective, this intuition, this awareness of self, and you can call it whatever you want, it sounds like you've been able to kind of keep, it sounds like throughout that journey, that was something that you were able to be keyed into. And is that something that you've, is that something that you felt was was sort of, you know, parentally bestowed or something that you were able to kind of pick up? Because I think that's a good takeaway for a lot of the, the folks that would find this podcast, you know, helpful. Sure. Um, I, I think definitely, you know, nature versus nurture, you come from a specific environment, you come from, from a specific upbringing that gives you certain values and perspective on life. Uh, but again, you know, as you become an adult, it's something that you must own yourself. So whether you are, call it self-actualization or self-awareness, um, you just have to take ownership of it. So where you head, um, whether it be serendipity, whether it's luck, uh, you're making the opportunities for yourself. Um, so if you think of like there's a Japanese concept of ikigi that mixes your job, your passion, your vocation, you've probably seen this very cool Venn diagram. Um, it's key to be able to understand where your hobbies and your skill sets lie uh, to know that, hey, this is probably a direction I should choose uh, in order to open up more avenues for myself in the future. So I've definitely tried to keep my eye on that, which is, uh, again, learning, uh, building up my worldview or my skill set to be able to uh, pursue the opportunities that ultimately will satisfy and fulfill me in life. That's excellent. Excellent. Wonderful perspective and, and valuable, I think, for, for everyone to kind of be mindful of as they go through the 20, 30, 40-year journey that they uh, have lying ahead. Uh, Calvin, I wanted to, uh, to thank you for your time and perspective today. Um, very valuable. And... Um, with that, I think we'll be uh, we'll wrap things up, and uh, we'll see you guys next time for another episode of Take This Job and Love It. For more information on the concepts we've talked about today, you can go to our website, ocs.yale.edu. Follow us on social media. That's right. Please, 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 because then we can send you stuff and information. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.